What's going on, party people? I'm your host, Stephen Bagel, and this is Sports Ethos' very own The Bird Rights Podcast. As you guys know, we are doing a crossover segment with Corbin Ford and the Round Ball Ramble podcast for what we would call, I guess this would be installment four, episode four of the Mock Trade Deadline series, where each episode we've had four participant GMs coming on to discuss moves they've made and, you know, maybe get some insight of what the teams that they're representing and the teams that they write for or podcast for might do at the actual deadline. So before we introduce our first guest, Corbin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, you know, happy to talk ball as always. Can't ever not be happy about that. So I'm, I'm pumped. I'm excited. Uh, ready to get working. Awesome. So without further ado, we have the man of, as always, the man of the next 20 minutes, Evan Damarell from Locked on Cavs. He is our, obviously, Cleveland Cavaliers participant GM in this exercise. Started off a little slow. You know, Cleveland is right just about, I think, they're a few million under the tax. I know what they own the mock trade deadline more than I do in real life right now because <laughs> this is kind of consuming me right now. But it's interesting because, Evan, first of all, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you both for having me. Um, this has been a very fun exercise. And I think hopefully uh, if Cavs fans are listening to this, that gives them a little bit of perspective on the fact that not every wing player that has a pulse is somehow available for the Cavaliers. So that's actually what I was going to bring up. Um, you know, Cleveland's going into this trade deadline at this point. Trade deadline's about two weeks away. And I know we're doing this exercise early to try to beat all the deals from actually happening. So that's kind of why we're Sports Ethos on our website. We're releasing it now and already undergoing some trades. I'm sure things will change in the next two weeks that may make a buyer a seller or sell a buyer. But whatever the case, at this point in time, the Cleveland Cavaliers, I think it's one of the worst kept secrets in the league that they desperately need. Consistent, either 3 and D shooting on the wing or... Just some consistency at the wing, because, you know, they tried Jetty Osman. They've tried Isaac Okoro. Karis LeVert seems to be better coming off the bench because he's better with the ball in his hand. So you might want to stagger him with Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. So, Evan, before we get into the four trades you made, mm-hmm. spoiler I believe all of them just about were for wings. Was that kind of your anticipation coming into this like okay let's try to get as many wings as we can or try to upgrade or find consistency or what was your thought process coming into this it's a little bit of everything that you mentioned um like like you said the Cavs have struggled to find like the quote-unquote answer on this roster at the wing spot i don't think this necessarily this trade deadline exercise answered that but it gives you a more clear answer for this season because before they acquired donovan mitchell this was a pretty flawed Cavs roster i mean they were playing larry market into the three and it, it was working but there's still some deficiencies across the board for cleveland and plenty of footage now with them playing big so you wonder where they figured out but then they go and acquire donovan mitchell and they they emptied the clip first and foremost to go get donovan mitchell their, their asset try at this point so like that that was part of my approach is like okay how can i finesse like first round picks because i don't have a lot to work with there so i just kind of combed uh, prospective GMs on that. And thankfully, New York was an interesting trade partner in that regard just because some of these teams that are looking to offload salary are players that are 3 and D guys, which are a premium commodity at the end of the day. Like, I think every team in the league would like a guy or multiple guys like that on their roster. So I knew I had to talk shop and work a little bit and work upwards on it just because Cleveland 
doesn't have that permanent answer right now. Like um, Isaac Okoro is currently the starting three. Karis Levert started the season as the starting three with Okoro. Sometimes playing, maybe getting DMP coaches' decisions. He'd play a lot of minutes, and then you see Jetty Osmond primarily glued to the bench because he's probably more functional in that role, at least in JB Vickerstaff's eyes, and just because like the, the Cavs are more of a defensive focused team. And that's also why you see guys like Lamar Stevens, who is objectively a worse shooter than Isaac Okoro, getting legitimate minutes at the three spot or even starting for Cleveland. And then there's like Dean Wade as well, who's naturally a power forward, but is playing the three, and they're trying to mimic a little bit of what they had last year with Larry Markinen out there. But it's a lot of patchwork on the realistic side of things for Cleveland. And I, I agree with your initial assessment too. It, it is probably the worst kept secret that the Cavs are just looking for some type of wing upgrade. Like they, they haven't had an answer to that spot since LeBron left for the second time. And let's be frank, it's pretty unfair for any guy to try and replace what LeBron brings you, but the Cavs are almost there. It's just, it, it's a weakness of theirs. Cause I think, Obviously, perimeter defense makes it easier for Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland on defense and also having Mobley and Jared Allen on the interior. And then the inverse of it, um, it gives more spacing, at least for Mobley and Allen to operate. And also, like, you can do a lot of creative things, too, like spread pick and roll stuff and everything like that. And you also, well, like what you said, like the Cavs are close to the luxury tax threshold heading up to the trade deadline in real life. I try to remain cognizant of that during this just because, yeah, Cleveland at least on paper and according to advanced metrics has the makings of a playoff contender, but we have to make sure what they look like when they get there. And you don't want to sell the farm or go into that luxury tax threshold just because you make the playoffs for the first time without LeBron since the 97, 98 season. Yeah. And as Corbin, I talked about in the intro to this mm-hmm. exercise in today's NBA wing depth is the hottest commodity. I mean, look at OG and Obi though. He's, get those offers out there for three first round picks for him. So, I mean, that I think that emphasizes on just how important consistency on the wing is. So the first trade you made was pretty minor. It was to acquire Davion Reed from the Denver Nuggets because in another trade, they were taking on and needed a clear roster spot. So you took Davion Reed for a 2023 Golden State seconds. Um, Reed has definitely shown flashes last year. I'm not going to mm. obviously spend too much time on a minor trade like this. But that was kind of your first splash when Asher, who was the Nuggets participant GM, Asher Levy, he was like, okay, well, I need to clear the roster spot. I knew Davion Reed. I go, you know what? He would, Cleveland has an open roster spot, the two mil under the tack, so he fits perfectly in there. Let's see if they'd be interested. And automatically you're like, yep, let, let's do it. I'll give the goal. Yeah, I think you said you give either of your 23 seconds that you had. I try to be reasonable because, like you said, um, wing depth is just a premium commodity. And I'm also negotiating from a little bit of a disadvantage just because Asher is the one looking to offload the player. And so I'm just like, listen, Devon Reed, Devon Reed is a player at least that could functionally work as like an emergency depth piece for Cleveland. But also, like, let's say a trade does come along because, like, I've had people approach me saying, like, hey, is Dean Wade available? And, like, unfortunately, he's not just because of his extension in the timeline with it. So I'm just like, oh, this is a interesting enough guy who's in his a little bit past his mid-20s. But like you said, he's a bigger wing. He can provide you defense and three-point shooting. There could be a team that is intrigued out there. So, like, he's just like that extra asset just to load up a little bit. And let's say if another trade happens down the line, I doubt it does because I'm pretty asset dry at this point. But if another trade does happen, I can use him as a bit of a trade chip with whatever draft picks and maybe players of interest that remain. But 
that's just the initial thought process because I'm like, I'm not getting a lot of bites because I, I zeroed in pretty quickly on the guy we'll probably talk about next in the three team trade I facilitated. Like I zeroed in on him or one of his teammates and the, the GM of this team was just like, listen, I want a first round pick for either player or a young player that's of interest. And he just wasn't biting, wasn't biting. I'm like, okay, I should just maybe keep building small, try and acquire what this general manager is looking for and then reapproach him. But it somehow just fell into place when um, New York got a little desperate to uh, offload a certain contract. Yeah, let's talk about, let's talk about that trade. It was a three team between the Knicks, the Cavs and the Spurs. You traded Karis LeVert to the Knicks. You received Josh Richardson. And then mm-hmm. the Spurs got Evan Fournier, that Dallas 23 first at the Knicks own, a Golden State 2024 second that's unlikely to convey his top 55 protected, and the rights to, I believe he's in Australia, so I know he's Australian, but Luke Travers. Mm-hmm. So we just talked about LeVert and how he may have a better role coming off the bench because Correct. he's a ball-dominant guy, so... Was that your line of thinking? Josh Richardson isn't a high usage guy. It did create a trade exception of six point six million, which you ended up bringing another wing into, and we'll talk about that after this. But before you knew that trade was going to transpire the way it did, mm-hmm. will you? I'll just say now you got Justin Holiday in the three teamer with that trade exception, so you basically got Josh Richardson and Justin Holiday for Karis LeVert. Yeah, and I, I know Cavs fans are morbidly curious, Luke Travers, and they're becoming <laughs> NBL experts, but let's be frank, um, Travers was with the Cavs during summer league. He did a lot of exciting things, but we're not 100% certain he'll ever leave his home country of Australia to come play for, in the NBA or for the Cavaliers in that point because he was picked, I believe, 50th overall in last year's draft. So I think at this point, it's just the draft rights and Noah, the GM of the Spurs, mentioned Dean Wade actually in the trade. And I said, well, he's not available. What about Lamar Stevens? And he's like, okay, well, that's not really of interest to me. And I'm like, I don't want to give more second round picks up in this scenario. So I'm like, well, we do have the draft rights to draft rights to Khalif Bajop, who the Cavs just drafted over the summer in the Ochai Abaji draft and also Luke Travers. He's like, oh, we'll take Luke Travers. I'm like, okay, fine. Cause I don't like, I, I like Luke Travers as a player. I think he makes sense as a player. I don't think he's ever going to be like the starting three for the Cavs. And if that's what greases the wheel for you, that's what you kind of have to do in this business at this point, because you're hundred percent on this, on, on the spot here. Like Karis Levert is functional as a six man for this Cavs team at this juncture. He, JP Bickerstaff said like he relegated him to the bench and Levert actually approached him about it too. Just saying like, listen, he's more successful with the ball in his hands and having more shot opportunities, but the three point shooting is just so streaky and he needs the ball in his hands more often than not. That kind of like mitigates having Ricky Rubio back and also like Donovan Mitchell's been very functional running bench units as the point guard at times too. And then you have Darius Garland as well. Like we had, we as in the Cavs have enough ball handling at this point that when you're using Karis LeVert and his expiring contract is a bit of a trade chip, you're looking to get some type of defense and three point shooting and sure Josh Richardson is a little streaky at times as a shooter, but he's a lot more low usage in terms of ball handling and he can provide you that spot up shooting. He provides you that theoretical spacing. I was telling you about for like Mobley and Allen as well in the starting unit. And it, it allows the Cavs to get a little creative because they can go super small and maybe play Richardson at the four, or they can use him as a two or a three at any time as well. But this is kind of the guy I had circled a few times. Doug McDermott was the other one as well, just because if you just really wanted to go into shooting and ignore the defensive aspect, because you just believe in Evan Mobley and Jared Allen enough at that point. So that's what Noah and I are kind of going back and forth on. He's like, well, I kind of have Doug McDermott in another trade, but Josh Richardson is still available. And I'm like, great. 
So the general manager for the Knicks approached me saying like, Hey, I will give you a first round pick to take Evan Fournier's contract. And I'm like looking at Evan Fournier's contract and his age and just how he's just not super consistent defensively. And I'm like, well, if you're offering a first round pick, I know a guy who wants a first round pick. So this is the GM I was talking about. So I, I rope Noah back into this saying like, okay, let's facilitate a three team trade where I don't want this first round pick. I'll give it to you for Josh Richardson. And then New York gets a little bit of cap relief at least because they can offload Evan Forney's contract to San Antonio. Yeah. And I like to think this is how NBA trades come together with actual GMs. Oh, well, you know, I scratch your back, you scratch mine, for lack of mm-hmm. a better term. But, hey, I know a guy. You, This team's running a first-round pick. I don't have the first-round pick to give up this guy, but this yeah. guy does. So I, I like how that was executed. Corbin, anything to add? No, I, I have a question in general. Um, I, I like both of the trades so far that we've discussed. Actually, I'll wait till the last one to kind of go into it. But I think just kind of considering what you had, what you were going into the deadline with and obviously a clear need everyone you know who follows the Cavs the NBA realize okay wings are again not only what they're most important but they're the single biggest glaring need for the Cavs so you know and I don't want to say no orthodox way you put it together but it's true with that you know I'm just gonna go to my question with the assets that you did have or didn't have at your disposal a clear need that every team knew going in how were you able or what was your thought process in being able to negotiate these moves that you did both the two that we talked about and the one coming up in terms of addressing your needs while working with such a thin asset pool so it's just being patient and pragmatic i think that's the Cavs' general approach in real life too like the jared allen acquisition they got was just happenstance at that point like it was part of the james harden trade and they were able to facilitate a way to get james hard or sorry not james hard jared allen on the cavaliers and i approached noah pretty quickly saying like hey i know you're running the spurs in this mock trade deadline scenario i would like to talk shop about josh richardson and Doug mcdermott he named his asking price and i can give a real life example of it because i just know how it went down so when the Cavs approached Chicago, well, when Larry Markinen wanted to side with the Cavaliers, the Cavaliers initially offered Larry Nance Jr. because they believed that was enough for a first round pick compensation. Chicago came back saying, We don't want Larry Nance Jr., we'd like a draft pick. So then the Cavs just kind of dangle dance out there who wanted to be out of Cleveland, and they found a team in Portland who was willing to give the first round pick. And Cleveland's like, Great, bing, bang, boom, we can get our theoretical starting three in Larry Markinen and then use that as an asset as well. So I just knew the Cavs have in theory a first like they could technically trade their first um come draft night in 2024 but we're not going to go that knee deep into logistics here so the stepping rule does come into play so like I can't just like offload every single first round pick I do have but the Jazz own a lot of Cleveland's future um Indiana at least owns their first round pick if everything works out for Cleveland this year so like they are a little assets trapped in in terms of just like intriguing prospects or just at least a salary at this point, Karis LeVert is a pretty clean fit with about 18.5 million, I believe off the top of my head. And it's an expiring deal. And a team like New York where their general manager made it very clear, like, listen, we're looking to offload some of these bad contracts and clear up some salary space with the, the Nixian focus of the upcoming off season, or maybe trying to make a splash year move. And I said, okay, well, I'm working with this $18.5 million expiring Karis LeVert. He's kind of redundant just with the fact that there's Mitchell Garland and Rubio handling the ball so much, and it's going to limit his opportunities. So he approached me and he was more so saying like, I'll give you a first round pick to take Evan Fournier. And I'm like thinking to myself, like, I don't want Evan Fournier. And then Noah's just said, okay, well, I'll take Evan Fournier if you give me a first round pick. And that 
also co- included the compensation for Josh Richardson. It was just also then the negotiation between San Antonio and New York to figure out what first round pick worked. And if the trade didn't work out, it didn't work out. Like you swing and you swing and you miss a lot in a lot of these scenarios too. But you just try to remain patient and pragmatic and just be cognizant of the fact that you are working with efficiency with in terms of assets and also teams know like this is an organization that is desperate for three and D talent. Like we can kind of work them a little bit and maybe finesse a little bit of extra assets because they are desperate enough to maybe talk shop. And I watch the Cavaliers on a night to night basis. And it's a screaming need for me. Whenever I watch them saying like they need some type of reliable, just three point shooting, at least wing depth and point defense at this point to make it more functional for them. Totally get that. Appreciate that insight on there. So then let's talk about the last trade that, you know, we're kind of leading up to at this point. And this is a trade that I think would be an absolute home run for the Cavs if, you know, it will come to fruition in the real deadline. Mm -hmm. And you got Josh Hart, and then you got Greg Brown just for financial purposes for you and Portland to both avoid the tax. And you gave up Jetty Osman, Isaac Okoro, and a 2025 second-round pick, your own second-round pick. So, Josh Hart, I mean, I think that's a seamless fit. He can shoot, he can defend. He's mm-hmm. one of the probably the best rebounding guard, if you want to call him a guard, but even so, he's a wing. Great rebounder. And, yeah, so, I mean, how, how did that come together? Because at that point, you had already had, you just recently acquired Josh Richardson and, um, excuse me, Justin Holiday. So, how, how did that kind of come together? So the Justin Holiday trade kind of came to fruition just because um you had the trade <clears throat> exception from the Levert. the trade exception and then I was just able to absorb him and then I waved Holovinetto in that and that juncture as well just to make sure I maintain roster flexibility a little bit and then the Josh Hart trade is something I was that that was another guy I was kind of working besides Josh Richardson and I'm like okay well if to the victors go the spoils if I can get both of them why the <laughs> heck not at this point so exactly. Portland was able to talk shop and I floated the initial trade of just like Isaac Okoro, Jetty Osmond. Then they asked about Dean Wade instead of a second round pick. And I came back saying, Oh no, Dean Wade's not available. Um, the general manager for Portland had real life responsibilities. So I gave him a few days. I followed up a few days later saying like, Hey, do you still want to kind of talk about this? Like I have shifted things a little bit. Like I can offer you Devon Reed if you'd like, instead of Dean Wade, like that, that could be of interest. He's like, no, let's just do a Coro Osmond in the second round pick. And then we were talking with Steven, obviously. He's just like, well, you need to have another player come in Cleveland's way just to make it work financially. And just also, but Greg Brown is an interesting enough prospect. Like maybe he could be something. And also that's just like another intriguing-ish player that could be an asset for another team. But yeah, Josh Hart was a guy just I had circled because the perimeter defense is really there. He's a little smaller than Josh Richardson comparatively. Like he's more of a two, three, but he's a really fun plug and play guy. with what the Cavs are trying to build. Like he fits pretty nicely next to um, Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland in the starting lineup. You can run bench units with just like Rubio, Mitchell, and um, Hart, or you could just run Rubio and Hart with like Love, Wade, and Mobley or Allen. And like, there's a lot of flexibility and stuff here. And it's just also, he's a good culture guy too. I think he's a good veteran to have in this locker room because it's a good, this is a young team that's still trying to grow. And I think having guys that are bit of the, have like a bit of that chip on their shoulder, a little bit of that dog mentality to them can kind of grind and like push the right buttons for this young team is super beneficial. And Hey, I mean, when Larry Nance Jr. got traded to New Orleans, he set up shop in Josh Hart's house. I'm pretty sure Larry Nance could just let Josh Hart have his house if he came to Cleveland in real life. So it all kind of works out nicely. But yeah, like Josh Hart was a guy I kind of 
had at towards the top of my board, I wouldn't say he's like my number one option. Like, but I was being realistic. I'm thinking, okay, maybe there is something here. He's not going to give you like a ton of scoring, but like he said, he's an elite rebounder. He's a really great playmaker. Um, he's a pretty consistent score on the interior. He can provide you some shooting and spacing and he just kind of fits nicely. Like I said, as a plug and play option, like if in real life, the Cavs were able to acquire Josh Hart via the, through the trade deadline, and maybe they didn't have to give up as much as I did, but Isaac Okoro, I think just doesn't have the opportunity to properly develop like he can in Cleveland just because his shooting is so inconsistent, but the defense is there. And then Jetty Osmond is an inverse is the defense really isn't there, but the shooting kind of is. And I think maybe could be in, an interesting piece for Portland to work with as a trade asset or a guy that's to provide them some type of bench scoring at the end of the day too. So I think there is some intrigue there. And after that trade, I I'm pretty I'm sitting pretty pretty sitting pretty nicely. Like Dylan Windler is a body that's just taking up a roster spot that's driving me up a wall just because he can never stay healthy. But other than that, like I'm fairly satisfied with how this has gone for me. Like I've like I said, to the victors go the spoils. I was able to get Josh Hart and uh Josh Richardson out of this, and then also added some a nice veteran piece as well in Justin Holiday, and then have some intriguing enough assets on the back burner that if another trade does materialize, I have some pieces leading up to the actual deadline we're working with. I was gonna say with this flexibility and, and where you are right now, do you plan on making additional moves? Or are you kind of just laying back and seeing how what opens up? I mean, obviously we still have some time left in this. Mm-hmm. simulation so how, how are you now are you more like proactive more reactive or are you pretty much done uh i'll a little bit of column a column b i think i think if like something if somebody approached me with a trade saying like hey like dylan windler and possibly a second round pick could net you a player that could be of interest to cleveland just because windler can't stay healthy and maybe he just needs a new opportunity at this point i'll say sure let's let's talk about it maybe if you want to offer a little, little bit of salary but I'm not too pressed at this juncture to like actively be looking for trades because I got to the top guys towards my board and Hart and Richardson. But if another trade came across my desk, I'm not going to say no to it. I'll consider it. But again, like a lot of the assets I've kind of used at this point, and there's some left and just mostly younger players and maybe some future picks as well. But We'll, we'll see what happens. I'm also like not going to be like, okay, I'm going to go shake it up some more and like go make a super dramatic roster overhaul because Cleveland's big move was over the summer when they got Donovan Mitchell. Now it's just kind of working within those margins they have to accentuate what they've built. That makes sense. I ask this to every person I talk to. I'm going to let you go, Steven. This is my serious, not serious question. As the GM of the Nets, I thought one ludicrous trade offer to the guests I have on. Uh, Kyrie for Darius Garland straight up. Let's Let's make it happen. <laughs> the silence Hi. was telling. I appreciate that. That's the respect. <laughs> that wasn't as I, ludicrous as the other ones you've done. I try to make the. I'm on brand. I have to be ludicrous with every trade. I think I offered like KD last one for Scotty or whatever, which isn't that crazy. But you know, just one crazy trade. This one, nobody wants. No one's touching Kyrie. No one. I haven't even brought him up in a trade discussion. We're. No one wants him. If I bring it up, the conversation just shuts down, and that's understandable. So, <laughs> I just <laughs> as a fan of Cleveland sports, I appreciate what Kyrie Irving did, but I just I I think that ship has more than sailed at this. Oh, point. the ship is yeah, it's it's gone. It's the Titanic, unfortunately. I agree. <laughs> All right, Stephen. Okay. 
So I'm just looking right now at Evan's updated cap sheet from the mock trade deadline. And I, I bring it up because Corbin did just ask, you know, are you going to try to make another move? Are you pretty much set? At this point with Josh Richardson and Josh Hard and Justin Holiday and Davon Reed, you're 820000 under the tax. So, Evan, you've done a phenomenal job at, you know, hovering right there where, you know, you didn't, you found a way to acquire all that talent and two of the top guys on your board without going over. But the one, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, that that was the trickiest part was just maintaining that financial flexibility to an extent because this is the team that's not going to win the championship this year, but they'll make the playoffs and it seems ludicrous to go into luxury tax just to maybe have a second round exit or possibly an Eastern Conference Finals exit. And that's where I'm at as the GM of Miami in this. I mean, Miami's 316000 under the tax. I've barely, I've negotiated with the same two teams just trying to make sure they're still interested because I can't do anything. I can't take back salary because I'm not going to the tax of Miami. And I just think that's something that our listeners and our readers and subscribers need to be cognizant of, of their favorite team. They say, sure, I'll go on the tax. It's not my money. Well, yeah, that's easy for you to say, but then you get disappointed and mad at the GM when he doesn't yep. go on the tax. When at this point, we have the biggest luxury tax distribution ever this year, where if you don't go on the tax, you're getting 16 to $17 million in your pocket, in your owner's pockets, rather than having to pay all the money that you're going to pay for being in the tax. So, I mean, those swings are 20, 25, $30 million for these owners. If you're not going to win championship, you're not going in the tax. So that's, yes. I, I'm just bringing that up for, you know, people to be mindful of heading into the trade deadline. But the one final thing I'm intrigued by is you acquire Josh Hart, who has a pseudo contract type thing you see often in baseball, which is kind of like a mutual option. It's a non-guaranteed player option. So he would have to pick it up and Cleveland would have to guarantee it, which I'm sure Cleveland would love to guarantee it, but he's going to opt out. So again, Mm. there's no mutuality on that. So Josh Hart's most likely a free agent. Josh Richardson's a free agent. Justin Holiday's a free agent. And then obviously you're getting Kevin Love's $29 million off the books. If you do resign him, I'm sure it'd be a reasonable, you know, maybe mid-level exception money, if that. Mm-hmm. So again, in this exercise, we don't really have handshake agreements with these players' agents, so we can't really say how we think these guys would resign with us. But do you think that's a concern that, you know, you got the two top guys on your board, but they're both pending free agents. And as you said, mm-hmm. you're now winning a championship this year. I don't think it's a concern necessarily. Like you, you like you noted, uh, Kevin Love's money comes off the books, but Darius Garland's back contract extension oh, yeah, kicks in next stuff. year anyway. So like that, that they kind of replace one another. And it, it's been pretty known publicly at this point that Kevin Love would like to retire Cavaliers. So I think they, in the reality of things like if I was running the show or if it's Kobe Altman instead, like I think there's a way that Kevin Love comes back and the Josh Hart baseball contract is interesting. I I would assume, like you said, he would test the waters of free agency. Richardson would also as well. And it more so just depends on the fit. And I think the Cavs just again, will remain patient and pragmatic and maybe they don't unload all their assets. Like I did. Maybe they keep 
Isaac Okoro on the last year of his rookie contract in their back pocket, or they keep Jetty Osman, who has a non-fully guaranteed contract for the final year of his deal next year. Like that could be of intrigue to some teams. Like Dean Wade could be a tradable asset if the Cavs would like to move on from him, or they pick up the team option from Lamar Stevens and kind of squeeze that money into like, there's ways Cleveland could still approach this this summer as well, but their core for the most part or for not for the most part is locked in it's mitchell it's allen it's garland eventually it's going to be evan mobley once you start paying him the money he deserves as well and then you just have to work at the margins of those four and then just figure out the next steps from there it's definitely going to be a fun thing to see in terms of roster construction and how not only do the Cavs operate within this trade deadline film that need but like you said projecting out you have these core four locked in making so much i agree it's going to be very interesting to see yeah, and it's interesting to see whether they make a trade or not. I mean, Karis Levert, do you? I I don't think they ex- or not, they can't extend him because that's already passed. But mm-hmm. they resign him. I mean, we already talked about that fit, and I, not that it's ugly. That's not the word I want to use, but it's not a seamless fit either by any means. So yeah, yeah it, it'll definitely be interesting to see. The good thing is though, you did acquire these guys not only for this year. But what's the name of this podcast? It's the Bird Rights Podcast. I mean, Bird Rights are essential, especially when all the cap space teams this summer are basically rebuilding, except for the Lakers. So if these guys want to go somewhere else, it's going to be in a signing trade. So you will get something back. So that's something that, you know, people need to keep in mind as well. So yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah. Okay, Corbin. I have I have Asked all the questions I have. Do you have anything to add? No, not at all. I think this is really cool. I really appreciate you, of course, coming down to join us, taking the time. Um, it's been great. And I think it's something that's interesting, both within this mock and how we approach it. We've had some guests come on, Stephen. You know that, hey, let's just have it a sandbox and let's just see what happens. You know, we've had others like look at it and say, okay, looking at it from the front office perspective of my actual team, how would I go about it? So it's really cool to always get different perspectives. And I really think it's insightful, not only just for now, but seeing how it really plays out. So thank you. No, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, this was this has been a fun exercise. Um, it's something that's definitely been on the front of my mind and the back of my mind, especially like just during the weekend and stuff. And I'm like, okay, what can I do to work within these margins to make the Cavaliers better? And again, for fans who are uh, fans of the Cavaliers, rather, like I think this kind of puts into perspective also. The commodity the Cavs need is a very premium one, and it is very hard to just kind of talk shop when you are asset dry at this point. Yeah, and with that said, I, I I think you did a phenomenal job with what you had to work with and how close you were to the tax without going over. So, yeah, I appreciate the participation. You could find Evan on Twitter at amnotevan. You could go listen to him on Locked on Cavs. Evan, anything else you want to promote? No, that's – yeah, just check me out five days a week on Locked on Cavs. Um maybe to spoil this a little bit we are recording this while the cavaliers are playing the knicks so we'll be talking about that and also just what this week has in store for cleveland in general like they play oklahoma city and houston to wrap things up and i think that thunder matchup is going to be pretty fun because the thunder are a really good team yeah they are okay then corbin and i will talk to you guys we don't have our next guest lined up quite yet so i can't tell you who it's going to be but momentarily we will be having our next participant gm on to 
you know, discuss the final few stages of the mock trade deadline. You guys could find everything on our landing page at sportsethos.com. We are starting to tweet out on Sportsethos's Twitter accounts, each trade that's happened, um, everything you could possibly need. Sportsethos is your mock trade deadline headquarters. So go check that out at sportsethos.com. And Corbin and I will be back with you guys momentarily. We are here with guest number two in part four of the Mock Trade Deadline series on Bird Rights Around Ball Ramble. And Sports Ethos is obviously, you know, giving us a platform to be able to do all this. So that guest is Matt Moderno of Believe in Wizards podcast. Matt, obviously, had to be the guest we brought on for the Washington Wizards. And, you know, he hasn't disappointed, obviously. None of our GMs have, of course. But he did a trade. And before I, I know everyone already knows that trade because we had Keith on from the Kings. And that trade, I'll just introduce it since you guys already heard it from last episode. He traded Kyle Kuzma, who the Wizards now claim they're going to keep because they want to resign him. But I personally don't think he's going to resign, but we'll get into that. Traded Kyle Kuzma and then Vernon Carey for Keegan Murray and Davion Mitchell. And Matt and I have been talking on Discord as, you know, as the sex has started. And the Wizards kind of have like the trailblazers of the East syndrome in the aspect of they needed to rebuild since John Wall, you know, tore his Achilles or whatever that injury was. And they haven't done that. I mean, they had Bradley Beal and, you know, I feel like Matt's trade is the direction. Again, I don't think Keegan Murray is going to be moved, especially he's been on fire recently. But a trade like that, like getting two young premier assets for Kyle Kuzma, who's expiring and likely not going to resign. But instead we hear, oh, the Wizards want to keep the big three together. And if, I'm sorry, Matt, I don't want to offend you, but if Washington has a big three, if that's what considered, is that eh, if that's what a big three is considered nowadays, then I don't know what to, I mean, the big three we grew up with was LeBron, Wade, and Bosh. Now, but I'm going to Stop my rambling. I'm going to introduce Corbin. I'm going to introduce Matt. Matt, let's start with you. How are you doing today? I'm great. Good to be here. I think everything you said in the intro is fair, and I think most Wizards fans are on the same page with you. I think everybody is except ownership in the front office, so that's that's sort of the the tough part, is everyone gets it except them, I think. Yeah, and Corbin, I didn't forget about you. You know, I appreciate you said the ramble. I'm like, hey, no, I'm doing good. Happy to be here with you and Matt. Um, Yeah, big threes. It's been a while. I you know, talk myself into a big three playing 2K13 of uh, Monte Ellis. <laughs> I'm going to stop there. Anyway, no, I've had some mid threes in my basketball gaming experience. I talked into a big three. So it must be surreal and weird to have like an actual team that you're like, wow, we have to wrap our heads around this as a, a, a big three because the front office is. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to talk about. I think people yeah. thought I was trying to be a shrewd businessman in our GM exercise here, but I was like, look, I'm telling you, they're not trading Kuzma unless someone gives them like the Godfather offer. And, and I think that's what we pulled off here. So that's mm-hmm. honestly what I think it would take to get that done in real life. I don't think this is posturing on their part. I think they are truly intent on building around this core if they can can try to find a way to do it and justify it. Okay, so... That's the trade you did make, the Keegan Murray and Davion Mitchell for Kuzma and then Vernon Carey's, you know, kind of a throw-in because you needed the roster spot and a little bit of salary relief because the Wizards going into the trade deadline after the Rui Hachimura trade are $1.3 million under the tax. 
So I've talked about this in multiple episodes. I'm Miami in this exercise, and I'm like 300,000 under the tax. Paul Ben in real life is like 600,000 under the tax. Like it's difficult for teams right there to be able to navigate a trade because they can't really take on additional salary. And the Wizards we saw with the Rui Hachimura trade took on Kendrick Nunn, who makes less money. And that's why they're 1.3 under. They think, I think they were like 300,000 under before. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so what kind of offers? I mean, as Miami, I know I gave an offer for Kuzma. My offer was, if I'm remembering correctly, we first started talking when we started the exercise. I offered Caleb Martin, Dwayne Dedman, and a first round, and my 23 unprotected first, which Miami's likely a playoff team. So what is that? A pick in 18 to 22 range? Mm-hmm. You said, let me at least field other offers. It, it didn't seem like you were thrilled about it. And now, you know, you just said you won country Kuzma unless it was a godfather offer. So were there any other offers aside from Keys from Sacramento that, you know, really got your attention or were you planning on holding Kuzma otherwise? I mean, realistically, most people I talked to or tried to talk to hung up the phone here. So I didn't get a whole lot of stuff that we talked about. That was sort of the big one. A few people offered me, uh, you know, hey, do you want this middling player for Kuzma? Uh, and, and I'm just like, again, I'm not trying to like, I mean, you and I had enough combos about this. I wasn't trying to be like unrealistic about what a trade would be. But I, I really do think that that's closer to what it would take for them, like real pieces where they wouldn't have a huge drop off this year necessarily. And uh, they had more of a long-term future and, and the salary protection, I think was sort of the biggest thing for, for trying to actually do it. So in, in my mind, if they move him, it'll be guys that allow them to stay relevant enough to make a play in this year and maybe give them some uh, cap flexibility long-term. That's kind of the, the things I think they'd look for and a pick probably. So if I'm the wizards, I owe my first round pick lottery protected mm-hmm. why do i want to make the playoffs kuzma's an inspiring deal get like i i i understand that like it's sports you want to be competitive but like you're going to lose your first round pick to get swept by the celtics and then kuzma's going to walk that's that's the the nightmare scenario for washington and it's not that far-fetched they're not far-fetched away from it being a nightmare scenario for them in my uh... opinion it's a savvy basketball fans nightmare. It's their dream scenario. They're looking for the first round playoff gate, you know, from, from two home playoff games. And that's enough to kind of sweeten the deal for them. Your bottom five in attendance. Uh, you know, you had reasonable merch sales and stuff like that when you had people like Hachimura on the team. Now that's gone. So I think you know, just recouping some amount of value by making a playoffs, even if you get swept is enough for them to say, see, see, we did what we set out to do here. And, uh, you know, anybody, once they make the playoffs, they have a chance at making a run. And and we all know that that's not true. But not that's in the what, NBA. That's Other what they sports, like to say. But, sure. but, yeah, so we saw in real life the Wizards traded Rui Hachimura. Have you, in the mock, obviously the only trade you made is Kuzma, have you gotten any... As Miami, I did discuss Hachimura with you, but at this point, I just... Corbin and I are going to talk later in this episode basically interviewing each other about what our teams have done is the Nets and Heat respectively. I still held on to Caleb Martin in my trade where I got off Duncan Robinson that we'll discuss later. But I think Caleb Martin with three years long as deal is better than Hachimura as badly as the Heats need a power forward. So, I mean, do you think, I suppose, my first question is, have you gotten any interest for Hachimura in this mock exercise? And my second question is, in real life, 
what what's your opinion of how the Wizards did for Hachimura? Yeah, so a couple combos about Hachimura and the exercise here. I think there are a good amount of teams that could use, uh, you know, bench power forward. Uh, teams that, um, you know, I think could use them the most in real life, like a Milwaukee. Uh, honestly, like a New Orleans could probably take another bigger uh, multi-positional wing forward type. Mm-hmm. Um, most of those GMs just haven't replied back yet. So I, I guess they're busy working other deals, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, had some talk with San Antonio about maybe a Hachimura and a second round pick for Zach Collins. and They won like the first round pick. And just that's not what a team is going to get for Zach Collins realistically in real life. So uh, none of those really kind of materialized. And I think in this exercise, if you move on from Kuzma, you can justify a little bit more trying to keep Hachimura and maybe keep him around on a reasonably team-friendly deal next year instead to wait until Keegan Murray's ready to kind of take the reins full-time. Uh, and then the actual Hatchamore trade, uh, I don't really get it in a vacuum. Uh, Keegan uh, Kendrick Nunn has looked reasonable so far uh, in his one real appearance, and I don't know if he looks like that the whole rest of the way and you actually do get Miami Heat Kendrick Nunn, then maybe it's a slightly better deal i assumed he'd be somebody they'd try to move on from just because he doesn't really fit the the cultural and and character uh dynamic they've been trying to build around i think just given given the background and stuff like that and then the three second round picks uh, i don't really know what that does for a team like washington at this point so unless those are going to be sweetener in some other deal that's what uh, i'm thinking personally i yeah i think they're going to use those picks to you know, whether that's, okay, let's package Will Balden with three seconds or two of those seconds to be able to get a first and whatever salary matches, something like that. Sure. Because, you know, a guy like Balden at this point probably isn't worth a first on his own, unfortunately. Um, I'm not sure he's worth anything on his own, realistically. <laughs> I mean, but teams are asking about, you know, him as a buyout candidate and uh, I think that's probably where this is headed if, if they can't make something work here. Makes sense. I have to ask. It sounds like going into this trade deadline, you so we've we've had a lot of different GMs on different perspectives. Some, you know, okay, what would our team do in real life? I'm representing the GM, or what would I do? Kind of keeping with those same mandates. You've had others that have been, let's just make things happen. I have more on that side. It seems like you definitely took more of the approach of okay, if the Wizards front office were to do X, Y, Z, if I'm Tommy Shepard right now, this is the routes we have to take. Was that something that you already had the course you set upon as soon as you accepted the role? Was it something that you kind of came more into a, a cement, a cementing of as you saw negotiations and were like, now nah, we're just going to keep the company line. What was your thought process going into this um, in terms of your own mandates and waiting for offers and how aggressive were you in the shopping offers to fielding ratio? Uh, great questions there too. I think um, I wanted to at least sort of, semi-frame this in reality you know like Mm -hmm. if you're going to go through the the process of a full mock exercise here i think if teams are are doing stuff that would never really happen in real life i I don't know how much value somebody gets out of that as a fan i think you would want to see like what are the types of things that are on the table could you kind of work within the parameters of what the organization will do and could you do a slightly better job than them hopefully and and that's sort of what i wanted to set out to do so like you know, the Bradley Beal thing was kind of immediately off the table for me because they're they're never going to do that unless he asks to do that. So me trying to go and shop Beal immediately didn't seem like a valuable, you know, 
use of time. Now, if somebody wants to do, you know, something like that, their team probably wouldn't do. That's fine. But like trading your air quotes franchise player that you've built everything around, whether it's mediocre or not, and the team should do it or not. I, I just kind of, I didn't think people on our fan base would get as much out of that because it's not something that they can realistically expect. A Kuzma deal made sense to me. I think there's a world where they want to shop Porzingis actually more than they want to shop Kuzma. So fielding offers for Porzingis makes sense. I don't know that they'll be able to do that in real life because they won't get sort of, I think he's more valuable to them than he is for most of the teams that would try to trade for them. So that's sort of like the framework I try to keep in mind. Steven sent us these really nice detailed packets, as I'm sure you guys have talked about, about yes, we you have. Know, sort of. Um, and I got it. Printed hardcover copy. There you go. That's awesome. Uh, I mean, look, that that's beautiful. <laughs> I, I took that and took, kind of took that as a framework for, hey, if you guys put all the time into structuring what a team would try to do, who's realistically, you know, um, on the market and things like that, I would at least try to like keep within this sort of general structure there. So that was my thinking. Um, I'd say probably mostly I've like received offers on people. Again, like I said, most of the people I reached out to, I've, I'm still uh, I'm still waiting to hear back from Corbin. You and I talked a little bit here, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's <laughs> it really? like, yeah, there wasn't like something there, and but there's been a couple of those. But I'd, I'd say uh, for the most part, kind of more of a receiver than a than a giver in this exercise. Like that for sure. So, Corbin, what was your offer for Kuzma? Do you remember? Because I know you talked about him. You know, I got to reach back into the Discord. It wasn't... Matt, if I was, you remember, you could jump in as well, but... Yeah, I'm looking now because I remember definitely interested, like, a, a guy I wanted, but the way I went about it was more, okay, if I can get this player, that would be great. But looking at our roster, I mean, come on now. You know, we and it was more exploratory because once we really right. started talking, I was like, well, um, this guy sense. maybe? Yeah. We talked Rui for a minute too, I we think. Uh, and and I think you know the combo guards you had would have been interesting, but by the time we talked, you'd already moved on from some guys. So it was like that's right, what it was. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I was looking at yeah Kuz, and then we were talking about that it was just after you, Kuz got traded to Sacramento, yeah. and then you were like, "Oh, Rui and Denny," and I liked Rui um, personally. I just, I mean, Denny has more, I guess, upside that hasn't been realized yet. But I think <laughs> I trust Rui's more this is what he is than what Denny could be that I'm not super high. I don't know. So we talked for a second, but yeah, my combo guards at the time, I already said most amount of trade um, and engaged back. And at that point it was like, okay, why'd I gauge? I didn't really have anything left. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it worked out. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, I, it's funny talking about that because the way I went about it originally was to say, okay, I got a team that, isn't going to make a whole lot of moves. I'm a big Lakers fan, so that's the team I was really looking at. Brooklyn, okay, going to sit sit back and, and relax. Not a whole lot to do. But then once I really start thinking, I'm like, if I could get off Ben Simmons' contract, I feel like they would get off Ben Simmons' contract. Yeah. And then, yeah, I end up getting a player that I like in D'Angelo Russell, who doesn't exactly fit, but I'm like, okay, we can suspend realization for how they look now for getting off the contract of a guy who, I mean, we don't got to say anything. In the week since I made the trade, there's only been more ire of, of Simmons. So then I kind of went a little away from reality in terms of getting some more players, and I got a nice um, – who did I grab? Anyway, Colin Sexton. Colin Sexton. There we go. And I thought that was nice for the future, bench scoring, yada, yada. But originally I was saying, okay, Brooklyn needs help on the forward spots. John Collins was an option, and mm-hmm. I thought Kyle Kuzma would be an option as well, more offensive focus, but, like, he could fit that power forward great. That was the idea. But yeah, like you said, it, it's interesting the way you went about it in terms of the 
commitment to realism because it forced me as a negotiator as well to go, okay, yeah, I still want him. I'm talking to somebody who really wants to make an accurate trade, and I'm not going to be able to say, okay, Royce O'Neal and, and some, you know, pittance picks, and that'll do it. I, I think what you said there about Simmons, though, like, is that unrealistic? Like, it may, not, it'd be, it may be unrealistic that they actually do it, mm-hmm. but that front office would happily flip him for a productive player, I think, if they could do it. So to me, I, I don't think that's, like, an off. That doesn't, you know, to, like, diverge too far from the way I tried to think about it. Mm, definitely. I get that. Appreciate that for sure. Okay. So I suppose my last question is something I guess it's something I already asked, but you have Rui Hachimura, who obviously has been moved in real life, Matt, who you still have on your roster at this point. We talked about Will Baldwin. Is he really worth anything? I know you dangled Denae a little bit. Is there anybody you, like, really think either you should try to dangle or that the Wizards in real life should, you know, consider moving off of? Aside from yeah. what we've already talked about. or They they need an upgrade. They, they could use a real 3 and D wing. They've got a 3 wing and a D wing and, and not really anybody that can do both. Mm-hmm. And none of their point guards are particularly adept at like actually um, collapsing a defense at all or, or penetrating. And, and Monte Morris has been much better as a spot-up shooter. He's kind of better suited for the role he played in Denver, I think. There's not like... I don't know, if you can't beat, like, uh, Hartenstein off the dribble as a point guard, you're probably not <laughs> beat other guards off the dribble either. So um, Monte makes a lot more sense, I think, to sort of a top-five playoff-seeded team as a backup point guard than he does for a team like Washington trying to make the playoffs that needs a little bit more help. So I think um, trying to find somebody that, that's interested in, in Monte makes some sense for the Wizards. Someone like a Colin Sexton would actually make some sense to me not like a port a pure point guard but but somebody that gets into the teeth of defense a little bit and makes life easier for Beal and uh Porzingis and Kuzma and, and things of that nature so that's probably where I would try to focus the rest of this uh time if I can okay Corbin I think that's all I have for Matt do you have anything to add I was going to make the joke with Matt, but I already did it in the Discord. Normally, every guest I get, I throw out one outlandish trade offer. Um, but I think I already offered uh, Kyrie and Ben straight up for Bradley Beal. So, um, yeah, we can't do that today. Um, <laughs> I also that offered, break, yeah. That would break the Discord, I think. <laughs> hey, exactly. We'll save you. Yeah, exactly. So, other than that, thank you for taking the time to join us. It was really cool um, to kind of get your perspective and just talk to you. Also, both fans of your work outside of this. So, really dope just to have you on. A lot of fun, guys. Thanks for including me in this. I think Washington fans will get a real kick out of this, too. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how we can finish strong on this deadline here. And, and great job pulling this all together. Thank you. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, so to conclude this episode and part four of this mock trade deadline series, Corbin and I are basically just going to have a conversation following this interview with Matt. You guys have already heard Evan, who was the GM for the Cavs. You've obviously heard Matt now, and then you're going to hear Corbin and I just discuss our rationales for our moves. And then we're going to wrap this all up with part five of the Mark Trade Deadline series on both of our feeds with just a wrap-up episode. I'm planning on concluding everything February 1st, so we have a couple more days to see what final few trades come in. We've already had, I believe, 22-ish about trades 
completed. You can find most of those on Sports Ethos' website. You can follow the Sports Ethos Twitter account. They've been tweeting them out and tagging the GMs. And, of course, you can listen to all the episodes of Bird Rights Podcast or Round Bar Ramble where it's on Corbin and I's feed. So, Corbin and I will talk to you guys momentarily. Matt, thank you so much for coming on. And Corbin and I will talk to you guys in a couple of minutes. Thanks for listening. Thanks, fellas. Okay, so as we told you guys, Corbin and I are just going to be here with each other's presence. Our presence, our presence. <laughs> and no guests. It's just Corbin and I. Um, As we've been talking about in the series, Corbin is the Brooklyn Nets in this, and I am the Miami Heat. So we're just going to talk about moves that we have made, why we made them, you know, kind of rationalizing what we've done. So I believe when we had Yossi for the Clippers on last episode is when we talked about trades Corbin made. But in case you guys don't listen, or in case you don't remember, Corbin did a trade with Utah as Brooklyn. He traded Patty Mills, Seth Curry, Joe Harris, and the, and the Sixers 27 first-round pick top eight protected to the Utah Jazz for Rudy Gay, Taylor Horton Tucker, and Colin Sexton. So, Corbin, let's start with this trade. You let's tra- do it. Mm-hmm. You traded your three best shooters. Just, I mean, obviously Kevin Durant's up there, too, and Kyrie Irving. But I'm saying that you traded three shooting specialists. Mm-hmm. You got Colin Sexton to be a small guard in the backcourt with Kyrie Irving. And, spoiler alert, you also traded for DeAndre Russell, which we'll get to. So, you now three small guards in the backcourt. I presume, Sexton, you plan to be a six-man with that trade. Mm-hmm. You got yep. Kalen Horton Tucker, who still hasn't seen like he's proven a whole lot in the league. And Rudy Gay, you still have another year on your books after this year. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that I'm assuming you obviously gave him the first round pick. So I'm assuming you just value Sexton that highly for the Nets. It was a bit of that, yes. I did balance. I realized the amount of young talent on Brooklyn that is actually useful is not very high depending on you know what you think about cam thomas obviously nick claxton but to be able to get a young asset a young player rather in um colin sexton with some potential i thought was good he was available and it's top eight protected so you know at the end of the day like if we're that bad then we get it and hopefully would not be if we still have kevin durant you know let's say we keep kyrie irving whatever the case may be um with patty mills seth curry joe harris i mean yes we have three shooting specialists unfortunately Neither provide much else. Um, Joe Harris has been dealing with injury. Seth Curry's been on a heater the last couple of weeks, but he's been someone who's also been dealing with injury and not been available. And Patty Mills just isn't the same player, also undersized, not a defender. So in getting those three gone, yes, we're losing shooting. We still have, of course, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. Let's not forget one of the league leaders in three-point shooting right now, Yuta Wanabe, um, as well. So we still have him on the roster. And what we're also getting... Um, is in exchange both between D'Angelo Russell, which is obviously a separate deal, but of course Colin Sexton is guys who can create their own shot more, which is something Brooklyn does not have. There's a real dearth of that on their roster outside of Kyrie and Kevin Durant. You can see that whenever one or the other is out of the game or injured or whatever the case may be. So to get Rudy Gay, he's a bigger guy. Not only do you get a veteran presence, you get a guy who could play a small ball five, who could play more of the four, um, who hasn't been totally bad, definitely faded some from, 
you know, prime Rudy Gay, of course, but the dude's 36. Like, that's expected. Um, Taylor Horn Tucker, you're right, hasn't proven a whole lot of what he is can be. But with Brooklyn, with a guy with a good wingspan, some decent size, all we need him to play position. Play some defense. He has some uh, ability to get to the basket and finish around there. Uh, he's definitely somebody that can um, add some size into the front court and is another young prospect who we can keep look at. And if not, let him go. Um, Colin Sexton, obviously the true prize there. Again, and a guy who at just 24, definitely a good scorer, can run the second unit, can swing between the point guard and shooting guard position. We can go small ball with him um, as well as Kyrie and Russell. I doubt that's going to be a thing that all run out at the same time, but there's a way that they can happen. Uh, but at the same time, he's somebody that you can project moving forward as a young piece of this core, which right now Brooklyn doesn't have. So, Taylor Horton Tucker worries me with this roster. Because of the fact, it's the same issue that he had on the Lakers last year when they had Westbrook and LeBron, is that I feel like Taylor Horton Tucker's a guy who needs the ball in his hands to be his best self. And with the Kyrie Irving and with the Colin Sexton, and as we said, you also did the D'Angelo Russell trade, which we'll introduce in a minute. I feel like he's not going to have that opportunity. But let's introduce that second trade. You trade Ben Simmons, Cam Thomas... And a 2028 top four Nets protected first, and a 2026 seconds to the T Wolves for D'Angelo Russell's expiring deal, Vin Forbes, and Wendell Moore. Mm-hmm. I am terrified, if I'm a Nets fan, of how bad that defense is going to be. Sure, you traded away a shooting specialist that can't do much else, but you traded away Ben Simmons. I understand the sentiment of wanting to get off that contract, but Ben's been Simmons- not helpful. Ben Simmons, as recently as two years ago, his last full season that he played, was the most versatile defender in the NBA. Yes. You're going to be taxing the hell out of Nick Claxton on defensively. You're going to be asking a whole bunch out of Kevin Durant. You're going to be asking a ton out of Taylor Horton Talk, who's not a great defender. And then who else do you have? Then you have three undersized guards. Who else? What's the plan? I mean, who else on this roster is going to be able to play defense for you? Well, that's the thing. I mean, the first one to address Ben Simmons. Yeah. Two seasons ago, Ben Simmons was great. The problem is that's not him now. Um, that hasn't been him this season. He sat all last season. He wasn't the same this season before that. Like, he, in theory, is better than what he has been in actuality. And the actuality is that they're paying him 30-plus million a year uh, and will be for the next couple of years for a guy averaging, um, what, 14? No, for his, for his season right now, 7, 6, and 6, which looks good until you realize that he is basically doing everything he can to not shoot the basket. His defense has definitely not been what it was for this team. And, yeah, I'm expecting to take a step back defensively. This was to get off his contract. We weren't getting another player to to shore up our, our weaknesses there. In getting rid of a contract of that size, we were getting another equally unwanted contract. The difference is the contract we're getting is an expiring one. And that was something we favored. Uh, as far as losing, um, as far as why Brooklyn, Minnesota want to give D'Angelo Russell, not my concern. We're happy to have him, right? It's going to be only one year. Our defense is going to be bad. There's no bones about it. To go from, you know, top 10 defense to probably bottom 10 is going to be rough. Our offense is going to be great, though. That is something that's going to happen, and we're going to have some more clarity moving forward in terms of some flexibility with Kyrie coming off the books, with D'Angelo Russell coming off the books, with a nice contract for Colin Sexton, with some other pieces of young guys that are going to be available in play. Um, we're able to get another guy, like I said, Wendell Moore, who I'm kind of high on in terms of potential as a forward. Um, 
I think that we have one shooting specialist. We don't have to play a lot, but if we want to, we got Bryn Forrest back to replace some of the shooting we let go in the Utah trade. It wasn't a perfect trade. It, that wasn't the goal. Um, the goal was we the goal originally going in was to try to offload Ben Simmons' contract and fill a need. Realize that those two things are mutually exclusive. We're not going to be able to parlay Ben Simmons' pretty bad contract, check the market, for a player that was going to help us. It was going to be a player that was definitely going to be equally detrimental or just worse. And in this case, I think he's equally detrimental because, yes, DeAndre Russell is somebody who, at the point guard position, will be solid, right? He allows Kyrie to play free at the shooting guard position. He is able to do good playmaking. Defensively, he's not great. We already know this. Neither is Kyrie. Um, KD's been great. Nick Class is going to be stressed for sure. It's going to be a lot of bigger lineups in the front line. And that's going to be weakness, but I prioritized moving forward, not having to have Ben Simmons contract because I think more and more people are seeing it by the game. I don't see that Ben Simmons coming back. They, they, the, the, that Ben Simmons that Philly had is pretty much gone. You know, you hope that whatever happens with him, he's able to work through. You know, he's able to still become a serviceable player. But right now, he is not worth that contract. He's going to hamstring Brooklyn's future flexibility for years to come because nobody's going to take that. So that was more important for me. Um, we're not going to be a horrible team. We're just going to be a horrible defense. And you know what? I'm okay with, with going with that. The 2017 Cleveland Cavs have won the best offenses, won the worst defense. They found themselves in the NBA Finals, uh, and that worked for them. So if Brooklyn gets to the NBA Finals at all, that's great. So I'm looking. I just did quick math on the cap sheet you have or that we put together for the mock trade deadline that's updated with each trade. And I did that because you have Kyrie Irving, who's an inspiring deal. I think ideally the Nets do want him to resign at this point because they can't really replace him. Mm-hmm. And But you have D'Angelo Russell. The, you have the Ben Simmons contract coming off the book because D'Angelo Russell's an expiring. So it's looking like you have about $100 million in committed money if Rudy Gay and Tan Horton Tucker both pick up their player options, which I imagine they would. So you're going to have about $30 million in cap space if you were to let Kyrie Irving walk. Mm. I, I still think the best route for the Nets would be just to retain Kyrie and, you know, just do what you can otherwise. But that's an intriguing aspect, that if the Nets wanted to become a player with cap space, they would be, them and the Lakers would be the two contenders with cap space. Because mm-hmm. it's mostly the San Antonio's, the Detroit's, the Orlando's. So, you know, you yep. saw Portland do something similar to that last year at the deadline where they opened up a $19.5 million traded player exception and had cap space use a cast space to retain Anthony Simons and Nurchik, and then acquire Jeremy Grants with that traded player exception with the CJ McCollum. So that kind of reminds me, similar, obviously, though different situations than, obviously, what happens in Portland last year because the Nets should still be competitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, yeah. This was... This was something I was hopeful for doing. Like I said, we're going to take a step back in terms of, well, step back further than we already are in terms of having KD out and slipping in the standings, but there's still going to be a team that offensively is going to be scary. Defensively, yes, it's going to be a shootout, and I would hope that there's a guy in the bio market available um, that can help out a little bit. Mind you, it's not going to be a great help because they're about candidate for a reason, but let's say, you know, you look at a Serge Ibaka or someone like that, that at the very least can just be a rim protector, you know? You're going to have an active role because God's going to get to the basket. But at the end of the day, that's what I wanted to have. I mean, it's not like the free agent market is particularly robust, but at the same time, it's additional flexibility, and you've said it. We are one of the two quote-unquote contenders, along with the Los Angeles Lakers, that will have cap space for teams, either free agents or for teams, let's say the Zach Levine opens up, or another player down the line, say Bradley Beal opens up, another player that's there that we can take into our cap space some with minimal assets sent out 
to make the trade work. So that was really more the plan. And honestly, that developed as I went along. I was not super active in terms of mindset going in. I was very content to sit back, let the offers come to me and see what I had to do because honestly, I was perfectly content with making this roster sit pat. I didn't think a team would be interested in Ben Simmons' roster. I didn't want to give up first-round picks, and I wasn't really looking to shop around some other guys. Why not? Why mess with what's working? But one thing turned to the other. You know, um, the ability to get Colin Sexton became appealing to me, uh, and to get rid of three players who, although they do provide value in terms of shooting, provide a little else and have been mostly injury-prone, I said, okay, it's not horrible. We still have enough offense. We're getting some more versatility on the offensive end. And then once the D'Lo Russell trade came, that was just, okay, you know, at the end of the day, getting rid of Ben Simmons' contract is more important. So it was definitely something that really just kind of worked itself out organically. Uh, these weren't moves I was planning on making. But once we got into negotiation, it was like, okay, you know what? I can see how this can work our way. And, yes, we're taking a step back in terms of one aspect of team play, with offense and defense. But I could still see it becoming even more potent offensively. And that's still deadly. And we've seen teams have limited success with that. I'm not saying we're going to win a championship with this team. Uh, you can't say they're going to win a championship before. But I do think that they're in at least as good a position. Probably not better. Um, and maybe a little worse. But and not again, the financial, worse. The financial flexibility definitely. That's what I was. Yes. Addition. So, okay. Um, let's move on to the one move I have made so far. Um, yep. Again, we only have a couple days left for this exercise. So I'm still trying to work a few things, which we'll get into. But basically what we did was Yossi is the Clippers and Cooper is the Rockets. We both had them on last episode. We expanded that Kawhi Leonard trade into a four-teamer. And basically we, I was talking with Dallas and I said, okay, well, I want Tim Hardaway Jr. He has Miami ties from when his dad played for the Heat. And it was a way for me to get off Duncan Robinson's contract while still getting back a player that could be a rotation-level player. So that was the initial talk. It was Eric Gordon, or Eric Gordon was on the Clippers at the time with the Kawhi trade. It was Tim Hardaway Jr. And that was it. Tim Hardaway Jr. for, excuse me, um, to Dallas, or to Miami, and then I would send out Duncan Robinson's awful contract to Dallas with my 23 first round pick and Dwayne Dedman. This got me about $3 million under the tax as opposed to the 300000 I was. And we heard like when O'Neal traded the traded Devontae Graham, he said that, that alone was going to take a first in the Fred Van Vliet deal. He said getting off that contract. So I said, it's going to take me a first to get off Duncan Robinson's $90 million, whatever con. Oh, 75 for the next four-year contract. Mm -hmm. If I was able to get rid of that one first with Duncan Robinson and Dwayne Dedman and still get back the best player in the deal without giving up anything else, I thought it was a home run for me. So I said, okay, I'll take Tim Hardaway Jr. And then he said, oh, well, I'm actually talking to Yossi as the Clippers because I don't want Davis Bertans and Duncan Robinson on my books as Dallas. So I said, okay, that's fair. I'm like, just let me know. We can make it a three-teamer. And that's when Yossi said, I could turn my $19.5 million traded player exception into a $30 million traded player exception if we expand the Kawhi trade. So in order to make it work with the touch rule, where in a four-team trade, three teams have to touch each other, I ended up having to take on Boban. But I said, okay, well, I looked at Miami's books. 
You have Jimmy Bubbles extension kicking in, which is a $12 million pay raise. And you have Tyler Hero's massive rookie extension kicking in next year. And a disrupt ban on a bio on the books. And Victor Oladipo is probably likely opting into his playoffs. So Miami is going to be in cap hell, essentially. So I was like, I'm not going into the tax this year. I refuse because I would refuse regardless, but like they're going to be in tax hell. So why go in the tax this year? But anyway, I looked, I said, okay, well, Yossi doesn't want Eric Gordon. He's blowing up the Clippers. So I said, okay, why don't you give me Eric Gordon's non-guarantee next year so we could either flip it in the offseason for something better, guarantee it if we feel comfortable doing that, or we just let him walk and save the money so we're not in cap hell as much. So I said, Eric Gordon, Tim Hardaway Jr., there's not really that big of a distance from them. Let me get the guy who's on a de facto expiring deal. Mm-hmm. So... I said, okay, fine. I'll take Eric Gordon and Boban. So I ended up flipping Duncan Rob, Duncan Robinson to Dallas along with Dwayne Dedman, and I got Eric Gordon and Boban, and I gave up a first-round pick, which, honestly, I don't think that's too bad because it was going to take a first alone to get off of Duncan Robinson. And I got a role player, a six-man type guy named Eric Gordon. I killed two birds with one stone, essentially, is what I'm trying to say. Um, sure. And- Mavs ended up getting Norman Powell, Reggie Jackson, Duncan Robinson, and Dwayne Dedman. And we already talked about the Clippers aspect of it. They took on Davis Batons and JaVale McGee. And then he flipped my 2023 first, the Mavs did, to the Clippers, essentially, in this four-teamer. So Yossi picked up another first as the Clippers. Again, I think I did well because I killed two birds with one stone. I used that one 2023 first that's likely in the 18 to 22 range. To not only get a high-level rotation player on an expiring deal that doesn't kill my books, my flexibility next year, while also getting off Duncan Robinson's horrible... I turned Duncan Robinson into an expiring contract of a useful player by giving up a first. That's what I did. Pretty much, yeah. And I think I did an excellent job with it. Um, not to toot my own horn or anything, which I think I did. <laughs> the one thing that was ironic, though, is I run most of these trades that have happened just by my fiance. Like, okay, how realistic is it? So she sees a change. She's like, oh, well, if you got Boban, like, how'd you say under the tax? And I go, I had to give up Udonis Haslam. She's like, mm. that's more unrealistic than Kawhi being traded to the Rockets. Like, the Heat are not trading him. I'm like, but yeah, that's... but, like, I wasn't going to give, like, Max Struess or Gabe Vincent. I had to give a guy on the minimum to stay under the tax. And, like, I could see he's saying, look, it's time for you to start coaching. Like, come on. Houston's going to buy you out and bring you on to the staff and whatever. Like, this is your farewell. Like, mm-hmm. I I don't think it's that far-fetched that, okay, look, you need to do us a favor. Like, we need to trade you. I, I think you would be okay with that. I don't think you want to play for another team because it's the whole concept of, oh, I didn't play my whole career for the Heat. But if they say, okay, look, you're going to Houston, then they're buying you out, then we'll tie you as a coach. I think for him it would be time. I don't th- – again, I'm not getting hung up on trading a 42, 43-year-old guy who doesn't play. I'm not. Yeah. Um, yeah I'm not going to go over the tax for a guy like that. I'm not. I mean, he culture, though. Yeah, no, definitely. And, but <laughs> he's going to end up coaching regardless whenever he wants. So True. why not say, look, we want to stay under the tax. We're getting Eric Gordon. You'll still get a ring either way. It's time. Like, that's why everyone's like, oh, they're not trading house. I'm like, okay, well, everyone needs to settle down. Uh, I'm not giving you a Max Schuster, Gabe Vin- Gabe Vincent's my backup point guard, and Kyle Lowry's been super unreliable, and Max is a starter for us. And I guess I could have given in um, Omer Yurtsevin. And my plan is with my open roster spot, even with Boban, I am trying to flip Boban. You are one of the guys I'm trying to flip Boban to because you're in a roster crunch right now. Yeah. Because Boban's $3.5 million salary is um 
putting us right at the tax. I am talking a Jay Crowder trade. Jay Crowder still has not been moved. Wow. My oh, Miami's talking Jay Crowder, but they're still trying to get Bojan Bogdanovic in a three-teamo with the Bucks and the Pistons. Mm. He wants a first-round pick from me, and I already gave one. So do I really want to give my 2028 first for Jay Crowder? Give up two firsts for Eric Gordon and Jay Crowder, who Probably are both not. expirings when I'm not going to win at all? So yeah. then I started shifting my focus to Isaiah Livers or O'Shea Brissett, guys that are bigger wings that could play the four. I'm not saying really, I'm not saying for really have to more at this point because I think Caleb Martin is under contract for three years, and I think he's a better player at this point and fits better with what the Heat are doing. Mm-hmm. So if I could flip Boban, I offered Boban for Isaiah Livers and Roddy Magruder, and I would give a second round pick with Boban. He said we don't want Boban with so many bigs. I'm like, dude, like just take the second round pick. Like, <laughs> come on. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing a favor. Throw, yeah. throw, throw, throw a guy a bone. And then for Chumo Kiki, I said, look. Orlando, you're a young team. You could take on Boban, who won. I think Boban won teammate of the year twice in the last few years. Yeah. And I said he's a great culture guy for a young Orlando team. Like, he matches salary. Chumo Kiki doesn't play for you anymore because you have Franz Wagner, Paolo Banquero, Jonathan Isaacs back, and you have two more top 10 picks this year. And I was like, I'll give you Boban in two seconds, whatever, two seconds. Miami only has four seconds to dangle, and they all suck, honestly. I said, what, whatever two seconds you want and Boban. He said, no thanks. I do think I'm going to push a little harder, though, because I think Shumo Kiki would fit that heat culture very well. And he's a seamless plug into that starting lineup as a four-man. Well, I mean, I agree. A I guy like that, would... either Shumo Kiki, O'Shea Brissett, or Isaiah Livers. If I could make one more move involving Boban to get one of them, or I'd trade Boban to you and then use the guys I get from you to, hey, here's a smaller contract for one of those guys. So that's that's hopefully the one more thing I would want to get done. That makes sense. That makes sense. But Jay Crowder, I just I, I don't see myself giving up another first because I don't think Miami has a realistic shot of win. The East is wide open, I do, but I think it's a tier of five, and then Miami would be the sixth team outside of that tier. I'm, I think I think I agree with that. I look at no, I think you're right. They're just in that range. Yeah. They're probably just in that range. And mind you, the East isn't as wide open as the West is, right? Now, like the parity's starting to shake out a little bit more, starting to sort itself out a little bit more. But come playoff time, injuries will always have an effect, and matchups as well. Yeah, I think we've seen certain teams just not be able to. I mean, look at Boston and how. They match up against Orlando. They don't. It's hilarious to me. And he didn't match the ball against the Knicks the other day. Exactly. And the Knicks might be the first-round matchup in the playoffs. Exactly. So it's all about styles making fights, matchups, and all of that. So even if they're not demonstrably better in the rankings department, yeah, that's something to think about. At the same time, where do they fall in the order of who they match up with? And it just takes a magical run. Which is why, and this is me speaking as a Sixers fan right now, the six, a team like the Sixers needs to find a way. They're the two seed right now. They've won, I think, 22 out of 26. So they're 22 and four. The last 26 games are playing great basketball. And honestly, they, they haven't even played that well. And they're winning, in my opinion. Mm. But that's why it's so essential for a team like the Sixers to get the... I know we're kind of going off topic a little bit, but for them to get the one or two seed. Because if we're the three seed, I don't want to play Miami. Spolster's going to co- way out coach Doc Rivers. And I don't think there's <laughs> that big of a talent efficiency. I think Bam matches up well with Embiid. I think Jimmy Butler's going to kill whoever we have on the wing and could shut down Harden. I just, I, I'm afraid of that three to six matchup if we end up as a three seed. I would much rather play. I know we struggle against Atlanta, but I think that was mostly Ben Simmons' fault when 
we lost that game seven to them. I'd rather play Atlanta. I'd rather play the Knicks. Doc Rivers needs to go against a coach in the first round that he can now coach. And that's why I was like, okay, as Miami, I don't want to give up a second first for Jay Crowder, but like, Sports is going to outcoach just about anybody, and the East is wide open. So that's why I'm like, I don't think I could do it. Because then I can't trade a first until next year's 2030. Like, it just, it hamstrings Miami too much. To yeah. Like, I, I was fine doing the 2023 first because I wanted to get off Duncan Robinson anyway, and I happened to get Eric Gordon in that same deal. So that's why I did that. It worked okay. No, I think you're good. I think you're right on that. I guess I want to ask you a question that probably has an easy answer. But going into this, obviously, the architect of every trade that's gone on here, how aggressive were you <laughs> in Not terms better. of your team? Exactly. Making moves. Are you really being more receptive? It looks like now you're taking more with most of the buzz kind of dying down a little bit. Now you're being more proactive in terms of seeking out offers and seeking out trades. But beforehand, it definitely felt like you were a lot more uh, reactive and just seeing what came to you. Is that more or less on the money? The only guy I really went hard after was Kyle Kuzma. Um, mm. And we talked about that in, um, Paul, I think it was part one of this episode. It was just you and I introducing the whole thing. Um, other than that, though, like, Miami just, with how salaries line up, and I talked about this with Keith and Trey on the Sports Ethos Bulls podcast, where I said, don't be shocked that Alex Caruso had the most trade value on the Bulls, because not only... Is he a good player? Like, we saw Robert Covington go for two first-round picks a few years ago, so I don't think it's far-fetched to say Alex Russo is worth two firsts. But it's the aspect that he's so easy to salary match for that you don't need to give a high-paid level contributor to to salary match for him. He makes $9.5 million a year. So Miami doesn't have those mid-tier guys. Oladipo has a de facto no-trade clause because it's the second year on the team where it's that whole confusing early bird rights thing. But... So you're not trading all the depot because I don't think he's going to waive that no trade clause. And nobody wants Duncan Robinson. So it's like, sure, if I could get off Duncan Robinson, and that's great. But I could package Caleb Martin, who's a starter for me, and Dwayne Dedman, who's my backup center. Otherwise, I can't do anything. I'm, I'm, I cannot do stop. anything. So, sure, could I have tried to get Caleb Martin and Dedman and a first and turn that into Alex Caruso? That's probably an avenue, honestly, that I should have pursued before I traded Dedman. But now, now I don't have the salary match. Maybe I could do, oh, I can't aggregate Boban. That's the problem. And I don't think the Bulls have a trade exception. So even if I offered Boban and Caleb Martin for Crusoe, I'm not giving up a first because I already gave it up to get off. Robinson. Yeah. So the the, the probably, cost effect. Yeah, that probably that. is a move I should have been. I don't think Trey would have taken it anyway, but that should have been a move I should have been more aggressive in pursuing. I think it'd been interesting. I'll ask Trey, and we'll talk about it next episode if that's something he would have considered. Because he still has crew, so he's still taking some feelers for him. I'm interested to see if that's something he would have considered. We could talk about that next episode when um we do our wrap up show. Our wrap up show for sure. Uh, so the the door isn't closed. Are the door is closed on you making moves. Are you still like I said? You're still looking to as, obviously Boban is a name, but what about any bigger moves? Is this kind of it? No, as I said, and Isaiah Livers, uh, O'Shea Brissett, a uh, guy on a reasonable deal that won't put me in the tax that can contribute and play the four. Essentially, I mean, those are the two guys. True Mokiki again. I said I'm going to try to push a little harder for. Other than that, maybe. Sixers are still $1.1 million over the tax. Maybe I could try George Niang away from Sixers Adam. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm. Possibly. I mean, he's been playing very well for them. Shooting 42 I'll leave it. I was about to say. Shooting like 5.73s a game. George Niang is a great addition. As a Sixers fan, I love him. I love I'm, him. I mean, listen, if, if you like George Niang and, and very solid player that he is, I just want to inquire about a guy who, you know, 
He's taking just two threes a game, two and a half, but shooting 47% on them. Let's need some more defense. Maybe I can interest you in a Utah Watanabe. I kind of like the heat culture idea with Utah Watanabe. And he's a good shooter, six good frame. Yeah. Like, I don't want to get rid of him. Six foot nine, good shooter. I wish he upped his three-point attempts a lot. Is this is one second on pick getting it done, or do you need more? Ooh, I would like a. I'm trying to get a defensive player, even if they're more one-sided. We, we can talk about it. I'm, I'm, I'm we'll curious, because... We'll yeah, talk, and we'll let the listeners know next episode in our wrap-up show what we're mm-hmm. able to um come up with. I'm pulling up your cap sheet, or my cap sheet now. Yeah, because per 36, think... he's taking five threes a game, 47% clip. Just saying. See, I need defense myself. That's my issue. We had Jamie Butler and Bam, but outside of that... Lowry, no, Eric Gordon, no, all the people. Now, Caleb Martin, sure. And I like him. Tyler Hero, yeah. Uh, yeah I, I, I would like a Caleb Martin. I could, you know, hmm. Let me see. Um, Yeah, we'll talk. And, and you get additional size. We'll talk. But, yeah, that's, I, I, it had to be you, Steve. When I said every person I give, I talk to, I'm going to make a trade offer to. And now I've officially done that. <laughs> I wonder if I could probably TJ Warren away from you. You know what? He's been very good for us. I'm not going to say he hasn't, but there's a potential. He hasn't? Okay, so TJ Warren, I expected when Kevin Durant went down, I expected for him to, okay, this is the guy. Ben Simmons is taking the offensive load. Like, this is the guy next to Kyrie Irving that's going to take the offensive load. I haven't seen it. I know he's been out for a year and a half, but I I just, I I was expecting more. And I do think he's going to get paid. I'm going to send it to you because Mm -hmm. I put together with one of my buddies after the Rui Hachimura trade. Yeah. uh, my ideal, if I was Rob Palenka or I was the GM of the Lakers, what I would do with the 25 or so million in cap space I have next year. So that's and a, in that, intrigued. I had, with the room exception, since they have cap space, I had them sign G.J. Warren with that. And I'm like, Interesting. I think a year removed from that injury, I could see him getting 4 or $5 million next year for a guy like that. I mean, he's played for minimum this year, but... Yeah, and he's playing well. I mean, he does turn 30 um, late next year. Before next season, he'll be 30. 30? Wow. He's only 29 right now. He'll be 29 through the end of this season. He'll turn 30 just before next year. But, yeah, but right now, averaging nine points, you know, just under three rebounds, just under two assists, his job is to score, right? That's what he does, and he does it well. 50% from the field, 79% from the free throw line, 33% from three. Uh, So far, 24 games. He's playing – He's being carefully managed. He's not starting any games. Uh, even with injuries, Jock Vaughn has been reticent to even think about him starting. He comes in, he gets buckets, and, and that's what he's been doing. Um, and doing a decent clip. You know, like I said, 50%, he's only getting seven shots a game, but he comes in, he makes that impact happen. And he's been helping some of this uh, punchless offensive Brooklyn second units. So definitely happy about that. Again, per 36, 17-5-2. You know, okay. 50% from the field, 6-8. Six, six you know, good size there, 220. Just saying, that's the guy. So we can talk about him, too. He's okay. potential. I like him. I, I don't know if he's coming back next year. I think he's definitely going to get a bigger contract than I well, would be. Well, you don't have his bird rights. That's the issue. Yeah, yeah. And and we have a lot of other stuff going on now, especially with the trades we made. So I would be fine with that, especially since I feel like I've brought enough offense on my few, on my trades already that I don't necessarily need TJ Warren to just bring offense because Lord knows there's nothing else coming in. So if I can get somebody who plays more defense – um, rebounding, whatever the case may be. Even if it's more one-sided, that's fine. I have enough offense that I can get away with that. I've had a lot of inquiries about Nikola Jovic as well. Um, I like him. He's he was in the initial... Prospect. He basically said... And there's there one trade offer I'll run by you that I chose to go a different direction, but when I was initially trying to get Duncan Robinson to Dallas, it was just us two, he said, okay, I want your 2023 first and Jovic 
in order to take on that Duncan Robinson deal. And I was like, I, I can't give both. And then right before Yossi did the Kawhi trade for the Clippers, he messaged me and said, I'll give you Robert Covington, who's could be a starting power forward, which you need, and I'll give you John Wall, who would be a backup point guard, which you don't really have. So you fill two major needs, and I'll take Duncan Robinson off you. But he wanted Jovic a first and two seconds. Mm. And that was the direction I didn't go, because I said, I'm giving up a first, I'm giving up Jovic, and I'm giving up two seconds for Covington and John Wall when I could just get Eric Gordon for one first and still get up Duncan Robinson. So that's the route I went. And then San Antonio's inquired about Jovic because obviously they are, they're rebuilding. He would be a great fit for them. So that's a guy that I can't imagine myself seeing being traded in the next few days, but that's the guy that I've gotten a lot of interest in. I get that. I get yeah. that. And that's interesting. I like that. I haven't had a lot more in mind, but then again, I don't really have the type of players. You're not getting Kevin Durant. You're not getting Kyrie Irving and, other guys, exactly. So that's kind of what it is there. And I wasn't actually getting a whole lot of of return on Cam Thomas either, to be honest with you. So you know, okay, we'll see. But okay, well, now we're starting to get all over the place. So I think that's a good place that we can end it. Unless you have something to add, Corbin. No, I think this is good. I like that we did our. I mean. We've done, you've done so much on your end, and I actually just started heating up toward the end here. There's not a whole lot to go into our respective teams. We've been talking so much about everyone else, so it's been really cool to do that. But um, yeah, that's it for me. I'm excited to kind of see the end of this, look back on this and see where we are and where we finished in relation to where we started and some of the bigger, more seismic moves here in this trade deadline. It's been a really fun exercise, and as always, I feel I have to thank you again for uh, letting me be part of this another year. Of course, I'm... You, you, you're a big help. Don't sell yourself short. But yeah, as I said, you guys could go on sportsethos.com. We have our mock trade deadline landing page where there's a drop down box. You could click on the team, see what your specific favorite team or what any of the 30 teams have done so far in this exercise. You could follow Sports Ethos on Twitter. They've been tweeting out. I think they tweeted so far nine of the 22 trades we have. So, you know, turn on notifications. You could see who the GM is, what trades they've made, everything like that. You can find everything on sportsethos.com. You can listen to the last, this episode and the last three episodes of the Mock Trade Deadline series on either Bird Rights or Round Ball Ramble podcast feed on either Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever, wherever you're listening to this podcast. And yeah, we've had, I think, I think all the GMs we had to get on that made like either outrageous trades or we're just very active at the deadline. I think we've gotten just about all of them. So I, I think we did an excellent job at pinpointing, okay, these are the guys we need to get on to rationalize to our listeners, our subscribers, our readers, what we've done. And we've done that. So Corbin and I are planning on doing one final episode right at the very end of this exercise to, you know, just tie up loose ends, see what trades we like, see everything like that. I don't want to spoil too much, but anticipate by Wednesday. You guys will probably be hearing this either Sunday or Monday. So anticipate by Wednesday, that final episode being out. So you could find me on Twitter at BirdRightsPod. I have been tweeting everything about the mock trade deadline. So again, turn the notifications, see my opinion on it. I've talked to every GM about why they've done what they've done. If you have any questions, let me know. You can find Corbin on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Corbin, again, Round Ball Ramble podcast. He is also doing our Charlotte Hornets coverage now for Sports Ethos. So be on the lookout for that for 
I don't want to say an exciting young team, but <laughs> let me tell team. you, during the beginning of the season, the Hornets over and under was 35 and a half, the win total. Mm-hmm. I put an easy, I think, 100. I'm not a big gambler anymore either. I was when I first um, turned 21 and sports betting first became legal. But mm-hmm. I was like, how do I not put 150, 200 bucks on this? So not winning 36 games. You slammed on it, didn't you? I slammed it. <laughs> so, money oh, in boy. the bank. But anyway, um, yeah, this concludes this episode and part four of the mock trade deadline series. Today, we're recording this on January 28th. Again, you guys might not hear, you might not be hearing this till like the 30th, maybe the 29th. But either way, we're going to do one final episode. And this exercise is going to be concluding February 1st. Purpose of that is to, you know, try to beat all the trades. Obviously, the Rui Hachimura trade beat us, and that kind of was the NBA trade season officially getting underway. So I'm okay with it. The more real-life excitement, the better. So, okay, I will talk to you guys next episode. Cool, but anything else? That's it for me. Appreciate it as always. Thank you again. And, yeah, till next time, we're, we're done. Okay, Corbin and I will be talking to you guys in the next few days. Thanks for listening.